The following is a presentation of Remnant. Hi, this is Jerry from Remnant. Let's be honest, this life can be hectic, draining, and downright confusing. My hope is that by listening to this message, your life can be impacted by God's great love for you. And His love will give you wisdom, courage, and strength. Thanks for listening. You're listening to a message from Pastor Jerry Godsey. Get your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 17. Here's all the social media stuff for today. Hashtag Imperfect Family Series, hashtag Family Leadership, at Jerry Godsey, at Remnant Church. Uh, please use your social media through the message. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1 through 7. <clears throat> at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin, aptly named, and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink. They'd, wait, I can do it the right way. Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And Why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And in those days when he got stoned, they used real rocks. The Lord said to Moses, Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock. And water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and the water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Masa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing. Because the people of Israel argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord here with us or not? Not that any of you would ever test the Lord or complain. You know what, I, I think when I talk, maybe I'll just pace this way so nobody thinks I'm talking to them. Let's pray. God, I pray for the next couple of moments you would open our hearts to hear from you. Father, it is time for us to show leadership in our families. It is time for us to uh, be the people you would have us to be in our homes. I pray that you'll open our hearts now. We we'll ask it in your name. Amen. Former pro football player got a job at a sales agency working for in, selling insurance. And one day the, during a sales meeting, the, the general manager is just telling these people how horrible they are. And he's going on and on about how they're not trying and they're lackluster and the whole team is bad. And the manager says, don't make the mistake of thinking you can't be replaced. He looks over at the pro football player and he says, in the NFL, when players didn't meet expectations, they got rid of the player, didn't they? Pro football player 
thought about it for a minute and then said very quietly, actually, if the whole team was doing bad, they'd just replace the coach. <laughs> See, the football player understood something about leadership that the manager didn't, and that is that leadership is responsibility. And I'll also add that parenting is leadership of the highest order. If the team wins, the coach gets a raise. If the team loses off enough, they get replaced. Unless you're the San Diego Chargers when you fire Marty Schottenheimer after having the best season in the team's history. Ouch. Jimmy Johnson got fired after winning the Super Bowl. So, there's the Cowboys for you. Make no mistake about it, leadership is tough. Even the best leaders get sidetracked. John Maxwell said, in a church, in a business, in life, everything. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Think about it. The place where you work, if it's not led correctly, can go downhill pretty quick. I've seen places where if you were the leader, or if you weren't the leader and... Even though it wasn't poorly, even though it was poorly read, led, people did well anyway because they had good people underneath them. Sometimes a business will succeed in spite of the leader, not because of them. The leadership gets to you. It's hard. Look at Moses. Moses, had, Moses was picked by God to lead Israel, and they complained the whole way. If you have teenagers in your home, you know what complaining sounds like. Empty the trash. Why do I have to empty the trash? You hate me. I didn't. But I'm headed that way. The major mistake that Moses made is the same mistake that many leaders, managers, and parents make today. He forgot that leaders aren't just in the result business. They're in the people business. Understand that your business, your home, your team you coach, everything is made up of people. At the sheriff's office, we lost sight of that sometimes because we saw them as, well, there's a deputy. We had a, uh, we had a deputy that was newly married. He'd only been married like two weeks. And they made him the resident deputy in Palo Verde. You ever been to Palo Verde? It's not exactly the cradle of society. And his, his, his new wife wasn't going to go. And I, I remember asking the chief deputy who assigned him there, why would you do that to him? He's newly married, and he says, well, that's what he signed up for. He's a deputy sheriff. See, he totally lost sight of the fact that, yeah, he's a deputy sheriff, but he's also a human. He's also a person with feelings. And it wasn't too long till that deputy was divorced. See, when we lose sight of the fact that we're dealing with people and we're just talking about commodities, whether it's in your home or in business or wherever, if you lose sight of the fact that you're dealing with people, you're going to lose the battle. You're not going to be a good leader. I used to joke that when I became a football coach, I took all the things I hated that football coaches did to me and I made all my players do them because I had to suffer, so should they. And I realized that that was just a recipe for disaster. 
You ever heard somebody think that, that the epitome of leadership is if the people underneath you hate you? You can't be friends with the people you lead. Really? Why? I was kind of, the, under, kind of under the understanding that truth flows through relationships. That if I'm somebody that cares about you and cares about what happens to you, you're going to respond to my direction. You're going to respond to the things I ask you a lot more quickly than if I'm just somebody who's an, an authority figure. So I want to talk about some mistakes we make in our home and then how to lead your home correctly. Okay? So here's the first mistake we make. Ignoring people's needs. Look at, look at Exodus 17, verse 1. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses. Give us water to drink. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? But look at this. But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Now understand, this isn't somebody that's upset because they made his bed and didn't leave a mint on his pillow. These aren't people who said, you know, the accommodations here just are not fitting my, my fragile state. This is water. You need water to live. Tormented by thirst. Have you ever been tormented by thirst? You ever been so thirsty that you looked at a puddle on the side of the road with dirt and thought, maybe. Maybe. I remember during football practice, during uh, Hell Week, all, you're, dying, you're, you're waiting for the whistle to blow for, 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 uh, for water break. Oh, please. Please, they're going to die. You're sweating. Your face turns beet red. Oh, I'm gonna, and that's just if I did like half a lap. Okay? <laughs> it didn't take long for me to get tired. This is water. And Moses thought, well, let's camp here. This looks like a nice place. There's no water here, Sparky. People die without water. And when they come, they say, hey, Moses, you know, uh, you know, a little cup of agua would be nice. No agua. And Moses said, why are you testing the Lord? Dude, I'm not testing the Lord. I'm wondering why you're so stupid you camped us in a place without any water. You ever get somebody that, that, that questioned your authority? Oh, oh, wait a second. I'm in charge. I've heard leaders that went around telling people they're in charge. If you have to tell people you're in charge, you're probably not. You may have the position, but that doesn't make you in charge. So Moses is like, what are you complaining about? Uh, we're going to die? See the cattle over there? They're all skinny because there's no water. Compare that to what Jesus said in Matthew 15, verse 32. Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. I don't want to send them away hungry or they'll faint along the way. What's the difference between Moses and Jesus? Jesus had compassion. And we make a mistake when we forget that people have needs. We make a mistake when we forget that we're dealing with people. It's easy to forget that the people or family we're leading is made up of people, and people have real needs. 
I don't know how many times I've quoted it, but when I was a youth pastor, I would get these calls in the middle of the night, you know, some seventh grader. Hey, Jerry. Yeah. My life is over. What happened? My girlfriend broke up with me. Okay, you dated her for a week. You met her at camp. You, you dated her for a week. And now your life's over. And the first couple of times it happened, I got really like, don't, don't call me with this stuff. But Mike Iacchinelli said, puppy love is real to puppies. And I, you know, with my, all my vast experience, I looked at the child and said, well, you'll get over it. But you know what? He needed compassion. He didn't need some youth pastor who forgot what it was like to be in seventh grade. And forgot how badly things hurt. It's easy to forget they have needs. Mistake number two. Waiting for a crisis. Who wait for a crisis? People of Israel were trapped in the desert. They felt hopeless. They appealed to Moses for help and he ignored them. It wasn't until things got really, really bad. Because I guarantee you, this is not the way it started. They didn't just all of a sudden as a group come up and say, you know, as a riotous group, Moses, Moses, we hate you, we hate you. Give us water. It probably started with a couple of guys saying, hey, Moses, you know, uh, hey, Mo, there's uh, no water here. I'm sure, and no Mo. I'm sure his friends, I'm sure his friends call him Mo. Yo, Mo. There's, there's no water here. But he ignored them. Ah, they'll get over it. You don't really get over not having water. I don't know if you're aware of that. And Moses kept ignoring him, kept ignoring him until they're ready to kill him. And so Moses put up a sign. I don't know if you're aware of this. Moses put up a sign. The beatings will continue until morale improves. I didn't really see this in the Bible, but I think, judging on what I know of Moses, it's probably close. It's easy for us to think as leaders that if we ignore a problem, it'll go away. Right? So-and-so's upset, eh, they'll get over it. If you're in your home, and you ask your wife, honey, what's wrong? She says, nothing. If you walk away thinking nothing's wrong, you're out of your mind. I got pulled over by a female police officer one time. And I asked her, what did I do wrong? She said, Nothing. And then wrote me a ticket. No, I'm just kidding. If you ignore a cold, it can become bronchitis. If you ignore a knock in your engine, the engine could blow. If you ignore a conflict with your child, it can result in total rebellion. It wasn't until the problem became a crisis that Moses did anything. That is the wrong way to do it. There's a difference between being reactive and proactive. Proactive says, I see a problem looming, I'm going to address it. Reactive says, oh crud, there's a problem. Now nah, it's too late. You are surfed? Surfing is all about looking for the perfect wave, but you don't make waves. You recognize them. 
And when the wave starts, you paddle like mad to get on top of it. If you wait until the wave's already on top of you, you're just going to get drenched. Problems in your home, problems in your job, in your marriage, those are things that you've got to see on the horizon. You've got to be looking for those things. You can't wait and be reactive. You have to be proactive. Exodus 17, 4, Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. And I I wonder if God would have said, hey, you know, maybe if you'd found a better place to camp. Because that's what we do, don't we? We wait till it's a crisis and then we go to God. God, will you get me out of this hole? See, it's a good thing I'm not God. Because I would have said, no, you got the shovel there. You got yourself in, get yourself out. But God loves us. Moses was trying to be a leader without making a connection with the people, and it didn't work. Moses didn't have enough connection with the people that he was supposed to be leading that he would hear their heart. Understand, this couldn't have been the first time they came to him. They came to him when it got desperate. He kept ignoring it. He kept ignoring it. He kept ignoring it. Finally, it blew out of proportion. And he was trying to lead them without knowing them. If you're a parent, if you're a husband or a wife, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, you need to understand this term, rules without relationship lead to rebellion. Rules without relationship lead to rebellion. I have guys at the ranch that I supervise the first crew that, that came in, the, the previous ranch manager, great guy, good, good brother, but his, he was a different leadership style than me. I brought these guys in. Your first day at, 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 at the ranch, I'm going to sit you in the front of the pickup truck and we're going to go do a chore. Basically, I'm just going to talk to you. I want to know where your heart's at. I want to know why you're here. Why are you in this program? What are you doing? I don't make them call me Pastor Jerry. Pastor Jerry. My mama named me Jerry. So I'm never real hung up on titles. But I want to build a relationship with these guys because it makes it easier to lead them. Plus, if I know how they sound when things are going okay, I'll know how things are, will sound when things aren't. Verse 5, we see three principles necessary for Moses that Moses needed to implement in order to make a people connection. Look at Exodus 17, 5. The Lord says to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. The first thing you need to do is lead by example. Lead by example. Exodus 17, 5, walk out in front of the people. Moses hadn't been trying to lead them. He'd been trying to drive them. He'd been trying to push them like cattle. He wanted them to follow him, but he wasn't giving them anything to follow. They were wandering around in circles in the wilderness. Typical because a guy won't stop and ask for directions. I'm sure they passed four or five gas stations. Moses, you know, ask this guy. Nah, nah, I know where I'm going. 
I told you last week, when we first got GPSs on our phones and, you know, in nav, nav systems, I argued with the nav system. Well, that's not the way to go. Yeah, it was. God told Moses, walk ahead of the people. Be their leader. Here's some things about being a leader. Your family cannot have more vision than their leader. If you're a parent, if you're the leader of a home, what is your vision for your home? My wife and I have a marriage statement. We read it together every day. Our marriage is loving, caring, kind, fun, patient. We give each other to ourselves. We give, to, we give ourselves to each other totally. Bang, 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 bang. Go right through the list. And then the last sentence is that we uh, will give everything we can to accomplish these goals. It's important for us to have a vision for our family. And, and if you're smart, do it before you have kids. But it's never too late. If you're single and you're dating right now, man, make a marriage vision statement. What do you want to accomplish? When our marriage is perfect, how's it going to look? Sit down with your kids. Teach them how to set goals. Teach them how to to make a, a vision statement for their life. What is God calling me to be and do? How do I get there? And how will I know when I've arrived? You ever get in your car on vacation? You're going to go on vacation. Where are you going to go? I don't know. We're just going to drive. You probably ought to have somewhere to go. Your family cannot have more vision than the leader. Your family cannot have more direction than their leader. I'll lead, you follow. Let's go. Let's go. Your family cannot follow unless the leader is willing to lead. That means the leader must separate himself or herself from the pack. Husbands, it is imperative that you are the spiritual leaders in your homes. Why? Because that's what God called you to. It bugs me when I hear that women are leading their husbands spiritually because the husbands are just not that interested. Gentlemen, you've got to step up. If you're the man in your house, you are, by definition, the spiritual leader of your house. It's your job. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to be the one that says, I will stand up in front of my family and I will say, this is how we must go. Not, not domineering. Well, you have to do it because I said, because I'm the leader. Remember rules without relationship lead to rebellion? You want to watch your wife, wife rebel? Try talking to her like that. We got that whole, you know, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. We kind of gloss that over. And then wives, be submissive to your husbands. You've got to toe the line, women. Hallelujah. And that is not the way it's meant. 
My grandpa used to say, if you treat her like a thoroughbred, she won't be an egg. Husbands, you got to stand up. How do we know where to go as a church? Because Jesus leads us. How does your family know where to go? Because the husband, the father, stands up and says, I'm going to lead by example. I'm not going to shoot my mouth off. I'm going to lead by example. I was playing football. There were guys who were quiet leaders and guys who were like, Invariably, the moron, like you get like fourth and inches, and you know they're not going to go for it, but... You know, they're going to fake you out. There's that one guy that would go up and down the line, don't jump offside, don't jump offside, don't jump offside. Guess who jumps offside? That idiot. And we all look at him like, dude, shooting off your mouth doesn't make you a leader. Leading makes you a leader. By example. After his victory in Italy, Someone asked Napoleon how he made his army cross the Alps. Napoleon's response was, you cannot make a French army cross the Alps. That's the best French accent I got. You can only lead them across. You can't make the French army cross the Alps. You can only lead them across. Second thing about, second principle God told Moses to do was lead through teamwork. Look at, verse seven, look at chapter 17, verse 5 again. Call some of the elders of Israel to join you. Moses had been trying to be the Lone Ranger and it didn't work. All by himself. But even the Lone Ranger had, had, had Tonto. You can't be the Lone Ranger. You can't do it on yourself. You're leading a team. Your family is a team. Why? Because you're all trying to accomplish one goal. You get on the football field and, and you want to... Can you tell I'm excited about the football season getting ready to start? I'm all jacked up. But your goal is to keep moving forward. Your goal is to, to score touchdowns. I love... There, there's an old George Carlin routine about the difference between baseball and football. Football, you drive relentlessly down the field, being led by a general and scoring, and then you take the other team's authority, take take the other team's territory. In baseball, you want to go home. I just want to go home. It's easier to be a dictator than it is to be a team player. Team leadership is tough because it requires give and take. It shocked one of my chief deputies when he came to ask about how one of the cases we were working was going. And I said, well, let me find out. And I asked one of the, I asked the guy working the case. And he says, why don't you know? I said, because he's, he's doing this case. Well, you should be involved in everything. I said, I know what's going on, but he can give you the details. See, because I had guys in my, or people in my, in my staff that were better at certain things than others. So we had a team effort. We'd come in, we'd have a, a, a big case come in, and 
you know, this guy's really good at getting fingerprints off of a certain surface. Well, why would I do that if he's better at it than me? But see, that means I've got to get my pride out of the way. When General Motors was looking to build their first Saturn plant, they couldn't do it in Detroit because the union was so steeped in their tradition and the way they did it. So they ended up building it like in Kentucky somewhere because it was far enough away from Detroit, far enough away from the regular auto workers that they could do what they wanted to do. And here's the way the Saturn, work, Saturn assembly line worked. If you saw a problem in a part that you were putting on, you could stop the entire assembly line. And they would stop and address that issue. That's unheard of in Detroit. Although they're moving toward it now. The idea was that if you were the, if you were the supervisor, you knew everything. Well, that's stupid. Because I guarantee you, there's not a supervisor in the world that knows everything. And I know because I'm a supervisor. There are things on the ranch that my guys do that I don't know how to do. Never done them. Don't have to. I've got a crew of guys that I trust that, that are trained, that know what they're doing. Fine, you go do this. You ever watch the NBA All-Star game? It's really kind of a waste of time because you've got five superstars on the court and they're all doing their own thing. And nobody's playing defense. You know, they all just want to score. That's why the scores are like 150 to 135 or something like that. Way more than the regular NBA game. Because they're all just doing their own thing. But you know what? You can't win a championship that way. It takes teamwork. Everybody's talking about LeBron James coming to the Lakers. Okay. Let's see how that works. Because there's a couple of guys there that aren't real crazy about taking a number two position. Is it more important for you to look good or for the team to win? There's a New Testament model for church leadership that's like this. Ephesians chapter 4. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Okay? Very specific roles in the church. Look at verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. One of the terms for pastor is shepherd. So we get... We, I, didn't, I don't get them much anymore, but I used to get these phone calls. Pastor, will you talk to my brother? Why? Because he needs to know Jesus. Well, you talk to him. No, no, you're the pastor. Right, that's probably going to get in the way more than anything else. Shepherds watch over sheep. Who makes sheep? Sheep make sheep. Right? Shepherds don't make sheep. Sheep make sheep. Now, you don't pay me. I used to say when I, when I was being paid by a church, I used to say, you pay me to make you work, but you don't pay me. So, you don't pay me to make you work. Understand that my job here on a Sunday morning is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Your job is to get built up so that you can do the work of the ministry. So that you can minister to the people that you come into contact with every day. 
it's, this church is a team effort. Understand, before I, I, I was part of Remnant Beginning, I was always the guy. I was the pastor. I preached every Sunday service, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And the church just had to listen to me drone all those times. And we started Remnant, and I wasn't sure how I was going to like splitting pulpit time with somebody. I will tell you that, that with God's help and grace, I will never pastor a church by myself ever again. It's been weird for me to preach three Sundays in a row. Because I'm used to preaching and then the next week being fed just like all the other sheep. And there's something cool about the fact that I've got a way of, of, of speaking, Jeremiah's got a way of speaking, and you guys reap the benefits because you get two Two people who both care about you intensely, who have a common goal, and that is to help you grow in Christ. I don't ever want to do it by myself ever again. I like shared leadership. I like the idea of teamwork. But understand, you're part of the team. That means that when you leave here this morning, you are about the master's business that you take the message that's been given you today and you give it to someone else. As you apply it in your life, you teach it to other people. Make no mistake about it, that's why you're here today. You're here to be fed fuel to power you through the rest of the week. Does that make sense? We're all in this together. As pastors, as leaders in our home, we are called to be leaders, not dictators. I love the fact that the, the, the ministries at Remnant start because somebody has a burden for them. Ministries at Remnant start because God organically puts something in somebody's heart and they grew out of it. That's the way it ought to be. Third thing. You need to lead with power. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile. Exodus 1.5. The staff. Shepherd's staff. Moses was trying to lead the Israelites on his own strength and it wasn't working. God told Moses to carry his staff. The staff symbolized the power of God in Moses' life. It represented the authority by which Moses made decisions. In Exodus 4, God told Moses to throw down his staff and it became a snake. Everybody watched. They said, ooh. And God then told Moses to pick up the snake by the tail. Moses did and it became a staff again. Later, Moses placed the staff into the Nile and the river turned to blood. The staff was Moses' reminder that he was the servant of God called to lead God's people God's way. Without God's help, there's no way Moses was going to overcome Pharaoh. And there's no way he could have gotten the Israelites out of Egypt. And Moses knew it. Occasionally, though, he would forget. Verse 5, God is gently reminding Moses, hey, you remember that staff? 
that one that you used all those times, the one that's a symbol of my power, pick it up. Pick it up. Verse 6, I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. If we lead with God's power, He will stand with us. Parents, husbands, wives, leaders of any kind, you need to pray and make sure you understand where God is leading you so that you can lead other people. If you ask me today what the sermon series is going to be in September, I have no idea. Because I haven't gotten a clear direction from God yet. I've got a couple ideas. This is the way Remnant works. Jeremiah and I will have a staff meeting, which is uh, direct messages on Twitter. And we'll talk. And I'll say, hey, I, you know, I've got a couple ideas about where I want to go in September. What do you think? And we'll come up with it. Then we'll come up with a title. And we'll come up with all the stuff that goes with it. But see, I don't get to just say, well, I think in September we should talk about cars. Because I like cars. But see, I need to hear what God says because God knows what's in your hearts. God knows where this church needs to be led. So, I wait until I hear. I need to hear pretty soon, though, because <laughs> August started. The thing is, we try to do it on our own strength. We try to think of something. Well, you know, it would be cool if we did this. It might be cool, but is that what God wants? If you're trying to do anything spiritually in your own strength, you are messing up. In fact, you're doomed to failure. Look at Zechariah 4.6. This is what the Lord says to Zerubbabel. The Lord says, get a different name. No. It's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. It's not my might. It's not my strength. All these, these well-meaning Christians that are picketing businesses and stuff and shouting these things at people, you're not changing anybody's heart that way. It's not by might. It's not by strength. It's by God's power. And when we use the, the, world's, the world's tools to try and accomplish God's tasks, it makes about as much sense as trying to use a fork to dig a trench. Could it be done? Maybe. But it's going to take a long, long time. Meanwhile, there's a backhoe sitting right over here. Big power backhoe. You dig, dig a trench in just a matter of minutes. And that backhoe, by the way, is God's power. Here we are trying to do it with a little, you know, maybe it's a little spork like you get a Kentucky Fried Chicken, you know, half spoon, half fork. It's not good at either one. How's the hole going? Well, I got, it's about an inch wide. Dude, it's got to be 20 feet long, 6 feet wide. Okay, well, um, I'm thinking I'll be done by uh, Thursday of 2024, provided I don't die first. You know what? Let's use the backhoe. Let's use the backhoe. It's quicker. 
It's more powerful. It's straighter. Let's use the backhoe. Let's quit trying to do God's work our way and do it God's way. Quit stooping to the level of the, of the world that doesn't know Jesus and take the love of Jesus to him. And then watch what happens. You got an unsaved person in your family? You really think you're going to nag them into Christianity? You know you're going to hell, right? Oh, thank you very much. I feel very lifted up now. How about just loving them like Jesus loves them? And showing them there's a better way. Being a leader doesn't give you power. Having power makes you a leader. God gave power and authority to Moses, and that enabled Moses to lead the people of Israel. In the same way, if you want to be a leader in your home, in your work, wherever you are, you must receive power and authority from God. If you lead by God's power, you can't go wrong. If you lead by your power, you're doomed. You have to just be honest enough to say, I'm really not as good at this as God is. And you'd think that'd be easy to say, right? You'd think it'd be easy for us. Yeah, I'm not, good as, I'm not as good at this as God is. But somehow we think that God needs our help. Hey God, here's what would be really cool for you to do. And God says, eh, not so much. Not so much. God loves you. God cares for you. The real test of a leader is their relationship to others. How do I know God's a good leader? How do I know I can follow God? Because he loved me so much he gave his only son to die for me. Because he only has my best interests at heart. See, I don't have anything to offer God. What am I going to give God that he doesn't already have? Only one thing. And that's me. What am I going to pay God riches? No, nah, he's already got it. Going to give God prestige? You know, God, if you hang out with me, <laughs> you'll be cool. God's like, yeah, I ain't been cool. We've got to lead God's way. And the test of that is whether is your relationship to other people. Bottom line is this. Leaders make the effort to connect with people, and they help people connect with God. What's my job as a pastor? Well, I've got to connect with God first, and then I've got to help you connect with God too. That's my job. That's why I'm pastor at Remnant. Jeremiah has the exact same job. He has the exact same calling to lead people to Jesus. And the reason we can lead people to Jesus is because we are following Jesus ourselves. There is so much just waiting for you if you will just do God's things God's way. In your home, in your place of business, your school, everything you touch, do God's thing God's way and watch how successful you are.
It's amazing. It truly, truly is. See, I've seen the difference between God doing it and God see doing it. That, that S-E-Y on the end of God that makes my last name, a huge, huge difference. It's only three letters, but man, there's a huge difference between me and God. And you should all say thank you, Jesus. Here's what I'm going to propose to you. My promise to you as a church that God has given me the, the honor of serving. I'm going to keep following Jesus. I'm going to keep listening. I'm going to keep working. And I'm going to tell you what he tells me. I'm going to give you the tools he gives me. See, that's how it works. Bow your heads, close your eyes, please. Just you and God right now. Just you and God. Okay, God. I want to do it your way. I want to lead your way. My home, my family, my work, my business, everything about me, God, I want to do it your way. Make that commitment to him right now, would you? God, I want to do it your way. I want to live your way. I want to follow your leadership, God. I will go where you send me. I will follow you to the ends of the earth, God. If you lead me, I'll go. You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Father, I pray for every person in this room, God, anybody who's listening on, on video or audio, God, that you would touch their hearts, that you would lead them to you, Father. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for working in us, for doing great things in us, God. You are amazing. Thanks, Father. God, I pray that, that the men in the homes, God, that they would step up and be spiritual leaders in their homes. Father, you would convict their hearts until they become the spiritual leader they are called to be. And God, I know there are homes where there's only a mom. God, I pray you will give them strength, that you will make them the spiritual leaders of their homes. Father, we would look at our families and say, okay, where are we going? And with God's help and grace, how do we get there? Father, I pray for the business owners that are in this room. People who work jobs that, where they have a place of leadership. God, make them godly leaders. Let the people who follow them see somebody whose life is turned over to God. And that makes all the difference in their leadership. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, you are so good to us. I pray that our homes will, will show who we are in you, God. That when the world looks at our homes and say, oh, that's a family that's doing it right. How are they doing it? Oh, it's God. Thanks, Father. Thanks. Bless us now, Father. We ask it in your name. Amen. Stand with me if you would. I'm going to give you homework. Make God part of your decision-making process this week. The way you talk, the things you say, the things you hear, 
everything about you. Make God part of your decision-making process this week, and let's see what God does. Fair enough? We got work to do now. Love you guys. You've been listening to a presentation of Remnant. For more information, visit us online at remnantchurchiv.com. You